to today's episode of We Were Just Thinking. I'm Melina. And I'm Shaylin, and we're here to rant, be better, tell you what we're into, show some gratitude, and send you off with a thought to ponder. This is our third episode, and we really appreciate the feedback from last time. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. If you're new, thank you for tuning in and giving us a chance. We like to start with a rant to get some feelings I'm sure many of us can relate to out, then work up to solutions later on in the episode. And I'm ready to go for the rant today. <laughs> the whole rant is yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we type and we're looking at the colors and it's like all green. I'm the green. <laughs> okay. So rushing as a cultural expectation drives me bonkers uh, in general. It's just the recipe for lower quality. And it creates anxiety in so many capacities. But also... Career anxiety from authority figures, particularly being evaluated constantly in a way that feels overwhelming and disjointed has been really frustrating for me uh, recently. And I actually also have a question for you today later, but let me start by saying that we started this podcast with a brainstorm of all the things we might ever want to talk about. And in yours, you mentioned keeping track of your evaluations to make sure they're accurate. And later after I finished complaining, <laughs> I want to know more about how you make that manageable because it ties into my frustration. So teachers are often evaluated based on like 10 minutes or barely that, that an administrator happens to be able to come in and they fill out this super detailed evaluation of your overall performance and to be judged on such a small part of your year is very frustrating for me and I know it's frustrating for other teachers because I've had the conversation so many times. Um, And I also feel more upset than I'm really able to articulate about how that's done to students through standardized testing. Every article I read about education that's, you know, in the public eye, talks about school success or failure based on those standardized test scores. There's really not much else they're looking at. And um, it makes me a little nauseous that we base so much of our education system decisions on such poor information. Uh, Something I think about a lot is the higher benefit of portfolios and self-selected products from, for me and for students, but then also I read recently that self-reported grades are hugely more effective teaching practices, more effective as a teaching practice than a lot of other ones. And I think the same thing would be true for employees because the lack of autonomy in having to perform for 10 minutes is self-defeating. So I guess the question I have for you kind of that I want you to answer when when we do our main segment is, you know, what do you see as a solution to that? Um, I see a couple of things. I think that I do like self-selected ways of showing your strengths. Mm -hmm. But I also think that when we have the freedom to do that, we always choose the best. And I do think that there is a place for evaluation that gives you feedback on what you could do better. So I do like that for my kids. Like, for example, a parking lot. Something super informal. Show me how to do this math problem. Put it on the parking lot. And it's not necessarily a grade or anything formal, but it gives me feedback who gets it, who doesn't. When it comes to teacher evaluation, you know, you mentioned 10 minutes out of your whole year. Well, really, that's a small segment of your whole day, (laughs) you know, not even your year. So getting feedback in five enormous standards that they're looking for in our professional teaching um, 
<laughs> that 10 minute lesson is completely useless in my opinion. And I think that's why I've always just had the mindset that you don't do anything differently. You know, like that needs to be a true um, reflection of how your kids respond to your lessons. And I know that that's a tricky thing to say because obviously when you're being evaluated, you want to be doing your best. You know, you don't want to, you don't want them that one 10 minutes to show that you are terrible at your job. But also, you also have to kind of know in your heart that this is 10 minutes of one day of 185 days. Well, and I know that, and I think teachers know that. And I think even administrators know that, yet they're so time crunched to fill the thing out that they fill out your whole evaluation about just that. Because the depth with which they're expected to evaluate you is not possible for them in the scope of their responsibilities. And I think it needs to be chunked. Right, and I think that that, I feel like the standards are something that should be evaluated throughout the year, not all of them in each observation, because what I find most times is administrators miss things that I did do in my lesson because they're so dedicated to typing it all in. Yes. It's almost like they're just scripting what I did yes. and what the kids said rather than paying attention to the lesson. Yes. And then when you go for your post-conference talk, it's like, um, actually, I did use technology, or actually, we did do a you know student creative you know whatever mm -hmm. they're asking about and it's it's often like this time where you have to kind of um defend yourself which I don't think is the intent of it mm -hmm. but that is how it turns out yeah well and that's why I think self-selected for teachers especially would be beneficial and for students like you know you were saying that you tend to do the best but in my experience students and myself I grade myself lower than they do sometimes. And when I am actually given that freedom. Now, if they start out and come at me and say, oh, you're not doing X, Y, Z, then I'm more likely to defend. Whereas if I start out saying, this is what I, I'm going to be a little less like, oh, look at how great I'm doing. I'm going to be like, I actually need help with this, this, and this, and I need to improve this. And I think if we set up a culture that puts that on the individual, we're more likely to accurately self-assess. Whereas if we set it up like they have all this power, then you're just trying to defend yourself. I think shifting where it starts from is a big piece. Yeah. And I guess just to be fair, thinking about like other careers, even when I worked in finance, like I might work 20 deals a day and they would all go smoothly. And then the next day I would work 20 deals and four of them would be kicked back to me because I didn't you know, hit every single part. And then when I was an auditor, I would be the one checking those and I would have to kick those deals back. And whenever you submit them from booking, like that means you're done. You're finished with that deal and you're hoping to book it because then you get paid for it. And even in our um, evaluations, they happened quarterly. Um, and those were for bonuses. Like in teaching, it's not even for money. It's just part of the thing. Um, but yeah, you know, they would choose a couple of deals and go through and they would say, you know, this deal had this mistake. This deal was great. This deal had this mistake. And so, you know, they were choosing work samples too. And I kind of liked that because like I said, if I were choosing my own, I would only choose what I thought would be a positive reflection of myself. Whereas when they choose, they're just randomly choosing, you know, a few things. And I think that's the idea behind teacher observation. That's why they try to like catch an English language or a English lesson, a math lesson, and then, you know, something else. 
or some are informal and some are formal, you know, yeah. (laughs) So I think that that's the idea behind it, but I do think oftentimes that, you know, school stuff interrupts, like, I mean, I didn't even have two observations I was supposed to have earlier this year because other things popped up, you know? So it's not, I think teachers put a lot of pressure on themselves about it, but I do feel like you mentioned there is this um, impression from teachers that, you know, the administrators are oh so powerful and we have to, you know, be our best when they come in for this 30 minutes. And the reality of it is, is you have 20 to 25, six-year-olds in your classroom or eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds or 16-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way to guarantee that everything's going to go awesome. And that doesn't even matter if you have good classroom procedures, you have, you know, the respect of your students, you're a great educator, you know your content, all of those things can go completely crazy in a 30-minute observation. Like, I, I can think of several days where I've had 30-minute increments that just, ooh, that lesson did not Bonk. go as planned, yeah. you know? And it doesn't matter who's watching, you know? Like, I tell my kids, right is right, even when no one's doing it, wrong is wrong, even when everyone's doing it. And we talk about that a lot. But they still do the wrong thing when it's, you know, but when they should be doing the right thing. But I always say we do the right thing no matter who's watching. Yeah. You know, not because people are watching. And that translates to me in the observation because we're going to go on about our day. We might have a bathroom accident. We might have a vomit situation. We might have a crying fit. We might have a this is too hard moment. Like, that's real life. Yeah, and I think they need to leave room for that. Like, you're Uh talking about you're leaving room for that as an educator, and I think the system needs to leave room for that for teachers, you know? Right. And and I don't think it does, as is. Which is so strange to me, because I hear a lot of people, especially, you know, here in Nashville, you know, say, well, politicians have no idea what's going on because they don't remember what it was like to be in the classroom, or they've never been in the classroom. And really, all of our administrators have been in the classroom. So I do think that there is such thing as getting too far removed from the classroom. Like you remember what it was like, but you know, the more time you have away from it, I think your evaluation procedures might become a little more stringent than you would have preferred on yourself. Well, (laughs) and and like I said before, I think they have too much responsibility. They don't have room to do it well for us. It needs to be adjusted as a as a system it, there's no room for the different school or the different county or the different personality types it's like right. so structured uh, yeah and it's overly structured it doesn't have enough wiggle room for them either to do their job well in my opinion well and, i think it touched on what we talked about last time is doing too much because yes that's why rushing went with yeah, this to me i feel like when you asked me about how i keep track of my observations so for those of you who don't know Ideally, in your observations, every single year you should be showing growth. You should be getting more accomplished or, um, well, you should already be proficient, but you should be getting more accomplished and more distinguished throughout the years. And the reason that I keep good track of that is because, you know, if last year I was observed and I had a lot of um, accomplished and a few distinguished, then, you know, the next year I want to make sure that those same administrators are observing lessons that give me the opportunity to achieve those higher levels. So whenever I have an observation, I just go onto the website and print it out 
and I keep it in my portfolio. And that way I can look year to year to make sure that I'm, you know, improving or at least maintaining. Because I think sometimes they mark certain things just because they didn't see it in that particular lesson. And that's not an ample opportunity to be evaluated on something. Mm -hmm. It's just so much more complicated than it needs to be. <clears throat> and, and that's what I meant by defending yourself. Like you have to have your paperwork, you know what I mean? Like you yeah, have to build your own case. Yeah, it's like you have to have this whole case. huge portfolio of proof that you're doing a good job. Yeah. And I would, ra personally, I'd rather spend that time investing in improving my practice mm -hmm. than begging these people to see, because there's so many standards. I feel like if it was cut in half, it would be beneficial even in those other areas too. Yeah, I think you could easily pare down these crazy observation things. Yes. With one, great on professionalism. Two, great on content knowledge. Three, great on relationship with students. Four, student progress. And I don't think that the way a six-year-old learns math is necessarily reflective of my daily instruction, but I feel like you could easily grade in those four things or even three things. You could even take some of those away if you wanted and still get a really good picture of whether or not someone's a good educator. Yes, I think we've, we've got to simplify the process for it to be effective. Because as is, you end up stretching yourself thin, both as an administrator, a teacher. Which, in the end, the reason I'm even discussing all this is how it affects students. I mean, that's yeah. our whole education system, you know? Well, it's always funny to me, like, I get observed on Monday, so tomorrow, and I know that as soon as they walk in, my kids are going to be like, what are you guys doing here, you know? Exactly. Because it does it feel like everything. a test, you know, like yeah. someone's watching us, and that's why I always instill in them, we do the right thing no matter who's watching, because sometimes we will have guests, but I always tell them, even in front of the administrator, I just say, we do what we always do, we do the right thing, you know, and that way, hopefully, it, like, makes them a little less nervous, but also lets them know we're not putting on a show. Like, we're having school today. <laughs> mine definitely, we're not at risk of putting on a show. <laughs> mine, uh, mine are like, who are you? Like, they don't right. even know who the principal is, some of them, you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> she comes in and they're like, why is that person in here? Like, if she speaks to them, one of them one time, like, looked at me like, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And it, it's true, though, but they're little kids, you I know? I mean, yeah, they're in their own But even when I taught high world. school, like, when people come in to observe you, even the high schoolers are like, what's that person doing in here? Just mm -hmm. because it's a little different. It is. You know? It's, it's like you're on the stage and you need to perform today. Yeah. And, I mean, there's just not a lot that's exciting about Algebra 2. <laughs> you know? Like, sometimes my kids were asleep. Sometimes they were super engaged. Like, yeah. it depended on so many things. Like, yeah. first of all, their academic level. I feel like if you have a lot of low learners, like, learning's hard, you yeah. know? And not every day is a light bulb moment, and not every lesson sparks their inner joy to learn, you know? <laughs> like, it, it's just you're only seeing 10 minutes yeah. out of 185 days, yeah. or even 30 minutes. That really touches on something that I think is really powerful, too, is kind of the perfectionism mm -hmm. of the standards expectation. Like, we don't need to be doing every single thing right all the time. And I think we kind right. of talked about that last week. Like, we don't need to be expecting 
something that's inhuman from right. each other and our culture. And I think that's, it, it, I think it brings the quality down when you expect too much. I do too. And I think that you also have to remember that we have a lot of high standards for ourselves and I feel like sometimes observations, no matter what your career is, it's kind of blind. Like you don't necessarily know what they're looking for. You don't know what kind of mood they're in that day. Like there's so many different variables in the equation that could, you know, change it. But then I also always remind myself, at least with these little kids, 30 minutes is a long time to do anything. Like when you observe us for 30 minutes, we, we've done like four things. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> their attention spans for direct instruction is only seven to eight minutes mm-hmm. in first grade. And, and then we open it with a 10 minute math, which right off the bat is over. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they want me to do all these did it did it in the direct lesson, you know, and I'm like, can I do that in seven to eight minutes? Cause that's all I've got. <laughs> Right. For them to all be engaged. Like, mentally, that's what we have. Mm-hmm. And that's not even, you know, taking into account what they were doing prior or what type of independent work we're going to have them do next or, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, it's it's the attention to task is really difficult with the younger students. Yeah. And that's something that hopefully anybody in an observation role is aware of and mindful of. Like, yeah. when you come in... You're not expecting a Broadway play. We're definitely local theater. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. you can't have those expectations when you know your audience. Yeah, and especially the fact that children are all so different. You know, uh, my class this year is such a different class. Yeah, yeah. it is every year, I feel and on like. A, and on a bad day for them, it's pretty... You know, if you're not used to that group, you come in, you're like, holy cow, you know? <laughs> but on a good day, What's they've shown, but here? even on a bad day for them, they've shown so much growth uh, as far as their attention to task and engagement and responsibility. But the reality is, while they're learning that, they're going to screw up. Mm-hmm. And I would rather them mess up and learn it than, you know, look perfectly every time someone walks by, you know, and that's, that's a big piece of it. All right. I'm ready to talk about Earth Day month. How are you feeling well, about that? Well, a couple more <laughs> seconds. Uh, okay. Okay. On that. I feel like I get caught up in, um, what's a good way to describe it? I want to teach foundations. Cause like you said, it's important for them to make mistakes and learn. But I also know from teaching upper grades that if these foundations at the lower level aren't solidly formed, then that's not going to... That's how. That's what I was saying stick. about behavior. It's like, I would rather them be wild for me all year and know that they're learning how to behave for later more independently. Whereas... You know, if I've got them sitting on the carpet so that I can make them all listen to every single thing versus they have a foundation for learning how to work independently. And like they wasted 20 minutes today, but then I was able to teach them, you know, you don't want to waste 20 minutes of your work time because you could have gotten two assignments done and be ready to go on to the next thing. But in order to do that, you got to be willing to waste that 30 minutes that they're going to waste while they learn that independence. Right. And we always say, and that's kind of that thing of the rushing, like 
we practice what we preach and we don't. We preach, it's okay to make mistakes. Brains grow with effort. We make mistakes and we grow stronger. And then we say that we're focused on growth. We want the child to grow throughout the year. But then every time we assess formally, if they haven't hit this desired benchmark, then they're below level. They need intervention. And I know that there comes a point with that, but there's also this point of them being six years old or eight years old or 10 years old and just not being ready to access that level of expectation. Yeah, this, the static standards are illogical to me. I mean, I get the point of having the standard there and I get the point of the standardized test, but it's so misused right. that I would rather it almost not be there. Because I, I think growth is important. Well, I, you know, I get that profe- proficiency matters. It's like you're mm-hmm. saying they need this foundation to get to the next thing. But if that's all I care about and I neglect growth, I mean, they have to be equally weighed. And as is, I think most of the time, proficiency is what people right look at it and not growth. And I think that we're kind of counterproductive in our field in that regard because we say we want growth, but then we don't often use collaborate like or calibrated measurement tools to evaluate. So you can't use this one standardized assessment throughout the school year. And then for progress monitoring, use something that isn't equivalent because then Mm -hmm. you're constantly, you know, comparing apples and oranges of data and none of it's meaningful. Why are we even talking about it? Right. Like, (laughs) Like, it's not... And so it's really tough for me because I think this isn't even an accurate representation of what the child knows because we aren't measuring with the same tool every time. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's out there, like, if anybody is out there that is like me with math, I always think that math could teach everything. (laughs) I feel like we're really good about teaching reading and teaching reading skills, but so many of those literacy skills can be applied to numeracy and also making children understand math in the same way that we get them to understand phonics and build words and things like that. And there's a great text called Teaching Numeracy. It's the nine critical habits to ignite mathematical thinking. I thought there were eight, but there are nine. And it's by Margie Pierce and K.M. Walton. And this book breaks down all these habits and gives an example for like early childhood, middle childhood, and then upper level. Because a lot of us think, oh, they know that. But then you've got kids, you know, in third grade and sixth grade and ninth grade and twelfth grade that still don't know, ultimately, that repeated addition is multiplication. Yes. <laughs> so you've got to build those foundations for those small facets of education to mm. build on themselves. Preach. You know? Yeah, and we don't so. need to skip past that to get on to the next standard we're supposed to teach this month. Like, right. The foundation is more important. Like... I feel like we get that in reading more so than we get that in math. Yeah, which is weird because I feel like you could spend 30 minutes of every math lesson just talking about the 100s chart in first Yes. <laughs> if they don't know number sense, then all the other stuff's not attainable yet. Exactly. And you mentioned perfection. I was thinking about another book. I'll add it in the show notes. But um, the Perfectionism Detox Um and that book is full of challenges for you to try, and it's really hard. I've never heard for of that. you to, you know, embrace them all. And I think I put something on Instagram yesterday, like the seven challenges of minimalism. But a lot of perfectionism comes from that too many things trying to do it too well. Whereas if you take a few of those things off your plate, you you naturally do things better. Yeah, you know. 
for some reason, I wanted to say Weller. <laughs> you do things Weller when you do fewer of them. <laughs> but that's a first grade word. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that, that both of those texts would be great if anybody was interested in them. Ooh. If you're a parent and you want to know about math, how to help your child grasp those concepts, that teaching numeracy book would be appropriate for you as well. And I think we could probably all benefit from the perfectionism detox. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check into that one. I've never heard of it. But you asked about Earth Day. I am super excited about Earth Day. I have lots of exciting lessons that I'm going to try to do in Earth Day. And I'm also challenging myself here at home to <sighs> respect Earth Day. Last night, Earth Hour was from 8.30 to 9.30. So hopefully everybody turned off their lights and electronics for an hour. Um, I saw a lot of stuff on that on Instagram. And I loved how Greta Thunberg, um, who's like 16 years old and nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize right now, said Earth Hour is every day. And that's so true. Like... It's awesome to see kids or, you know, young adults um, making such a powerful impact in our world. But, um, yeah, so we've touched on it a little bit before of, like, refusing, reusing, reducing, recycling. And last night we had a salad from Zaxby's and Josh and I, John <laughs> and I were talking about how, gosh, it's so much stuff that they give you when you get a to-go meal and the plates are recyclable, so that's awesome. And then, of course, we're going to eat the food. But then they give you, like, 900 napkins, four forks and knives, and eight packets of dressing. And we're like, we don't need any of that. But they always have it packaged up before you even, like, get it. And so it is a little awkward to, like, refuse it all. But he was like, yeah, I just need to start telling them, you know, I don't, I don't need that stuff. Well, <laughs> Chick-fil-A doesn't do that. So they have, like, a very specific amount of everything they use. Like, if you ask for a ranch, they're going to give you one. You have to say, yeah. I want two ranch. I want three ranch. Right. And, and that's good. Yeah. I feel like it, it helps. But, we, yeah, we just realized, like, we don't even use napkins at home. So we don't need those. And we definitely don't need plastic silverware. We definitely don't need dressing. Like, we have our own dressing at home. Mm -hmm. You know? All of those things. So I think refusing is, like, the top key of making sure that you have less things to deal with um, because everything that you don't refuse that you that you don't need you end up having to have a home for it later you have to find somewhere to put it or ultimately it ends up in the trash and I was also just thinking that a lot of disposable things seem so convenient in the moment but there are options that you likely have in your home to replace those disposable items that are just as convenient. You just have to like get used to doing it. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about, even that I do at school, um, is you know I take the lunchbox and I just refill that lunchbox every day. Or I'll meal prep on Sunday and I'll go ahead and get all my glass containers ready for the week, so I don't have to think about it. And then taking your own jars or bags to the store to fill them up. And if you have a scale, which we talked about that um, last week or last time, the tear weight, as long as you know what your, I think it's tar actually, the tar weight of your glass jar or your bag, then when they weigh it at the grocery store, they just take that off and that way you don't get charged for the weight of the actual container. So it does take a little more effort, but it's so much more sustainable. And I just feel like it helps you waste significantly less because I know as teachers, like we take our lunch most every day, unless you eat in the cafeteria. And it's so much easier to buy all of these individual packaged things and just throw it in your lunchbox. But it's cheaper and, I think, easier 
to buy it in bulk and then chop it up or, you know, however you need to prep it throughout the week and then take it with you. So small choices equal big changes. Yeah. I think getting there is more work, but once you're there, it's easier and faster. Yeah. And I, I think that that's with anything, you know, like I even have a little cutlery kit that I take with me in my lunch container because all I have to do is wash it. And that way I'm not throwing out plastic forks, but paper bowls or plastic cups or plastic utensils, like day after day when you're throwing those things away, that's incredibly wasteful. And I know that that's huge in our career. And I, I don't even like that the kids do that. You know, that they give the kids those things to throw away because it's already so much waste on top of waste. Um, but yeah, I feel like quick lunches usually have a lot of waste and we could pare that down by like pre-portioning things and buying in bulk. And, um, I think that that kind of touches in with that rushing thing that you said, because I feel like prepping my food on Sunday along with laying, I don't lay them out, but I hang my outfits for the week, like together in the closet. And then every single morning, I don't have to worry about like being in a restroom or making a bunch of choices right when I wake up, because all I have to do is take the lunch out of the fridge, put it in my lunchbox and put on that clothing that I put for Monday. And I think that that kind of helps with a clear mind, get the day off to a good start. It really does. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of the things you were talking about are things that I was thinking about too. One little tidbit I want to add is that, and just in case people don't realize this, putting food waste in the regular trash prevents it from decomposing naturally mm-hmm. like it would normally. So I ha- just toss mine out in the woods behind my apartment, but I try to compost. Cause Easy was, compost. <laughs> I try to compost, but it was a little bit... Ugh. I'm going to revisit it, but what I tried to do wasn't really working in my house, and I'm going to try again later. But for now, it's better to like put it outside in a brush somewhere than to put it in the trash. And then I like that a lot too. Yeah. I, I put my food scraps in the fridge and that, ha- that helps. Well, when I have f- freezer space, I put it there, but, um, it really helps with the smell. You don't smell it when you keep it in the fridge or the freezer. Oh yeah. I never thought about that. So, well, cause I just, my, I'm really lucky that my kitchen door goes right out to my back porch, which right. goes right over the wood. So I just toss it that way. But everywhere I've lived, I kind of find some way to make right. that work more. Well, readily. when we lived in Knoxville, you could hire this company to come pick up your compost for you and give you a fresh bucket. Here, it's weird, like, we're all about recycling and stuff, but they don't pick up compost or, and with us having pets, like, I don't do compost in the backyard because I don't want them in that, but. Yeah, yeah. I used to take it, there was a co-op that you could take it to and this farmer would just come pick it up from the back. So you kind of have to find things. Mm -hmm. It, it, like we, like I said, it's more effort at the front, but once you start doing it, it's better. Uh, And you mentioned reduce, refuse, but just in case people don't already know this, refusing plastic specifically is a really big deal. Yes. Uh, At our current pace, we're going to be with, we're going to have more plastic in our ocean than wildlife by 2050. And I put a website with basic facts about ocean pollution at the bottom, but uh, plastic's a really big one. So if you can cut down on your plastic, that's where it's at. And Um, straws, like, you know, plastic straws, a lot of people just don't think about where their garbage ends up because you use the straw and then you put it in the garbage can and then you kind of have this mentality that, okay, we're done. It's It's gone. It was in the garbage. Yeah. But that garbage ends up places. And if you're on Instagram, you can see, like, Wiser Water always posts things like that um, that are just a reminder of how it's killing our wildlife. And and that even goes with, like, we talked about with the Reef Safe Sunscreen. Like, all of these are... 
um, building effects, you know, like you, you have to start small to like make them a big impact. Mm -hmm. And even though we touched on this a couple episodes ago, I think the first one, one person can make a difference because if you're spreading the word, then hopefully more people will start doing it too. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are just kind of intimidated to try because yes. they think it feels weird to take their own silverware on vacation or take, or it feels yeah. weird to Culturally. like, yeah, or it, it feels rude to reject a straw or, you know, whatever. And thankfully a lot of places are starting to not even offer them. Like, you know, you don't even get a straw here, which is awesome. Yeah. But yeah, all of those things add up cumulatively to really destroy our environment. Yeah. I also wanted to mention that buying local food is one of the most enjoyable ways that I've made this switch. I love the farmer's market and yep. smaller grocery stores, particularly the Hendersonville Community Co-op. <laughs> uh, that process feels so much more connecting, connected and meaningful for me. It helps me eat healthier and slow down as a human being because I definitely have a habit of wanting to like go to get fast food and pick the fastest thing and not even think about what I'm eating. And that's a health piece too. It's like slowing down just mm -hmm. enough to think about what I'm really eating and doing. And then... You know, like you said before, I think replacing some habits is key. Just starting slow, like what is manageable. And coffee cup plastic lids, mm -hmm. I read, I can't find the statistic again, but it's a major waste factor in our culture. And that's not weird at all to bring your own cup to the coffee no. shop. So <laughs> no excuses on that one. Well, and and a for lot me of people too. Say, I just forget. But honestly, like that's the kind of thing that you just need to leave in your car. Yes. Like, have a mug. Have your reusable bags. Just so you don't have to think about them. Like, mm -hmm. leave them ready for you to use. An eye-opener for me was uh, keeping my waste in a pile for a week before I threw it away. Like, yeah. Everything that I got from eating out and stuff, I kept for, like, a week. And I got the idea, actually, because when I was in Florida, I saw this what I thought was a mountain in the distance. And I'm like, why is that? What is that? Because I'm in Florida. Like, yeah. I'm so confused. And my friend was like, it's a landfill. And when it's hot, you can smell it. Yeah. And I was really sad. And also watching Marie Kondo put everybody's clothes on a mountain. Like, yeah. if you keep it together for yourself, I think it helps you realize how much you really are wasting. And I think that practice alone of just saving your trash a little longer so you realize how much you really are wasting. And then also, like, watching these people who have, like, one jar of waste for the year, I was like, okay. I know, the I zero waste collected. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm like, I can reduce. Like, I can go. <laughs> I can work on this, you know. And I think awareness is just a big piece of it just looking at it in the face like there's tons of insta stories you can watch for inspiration on that too like i don't think it's reasonable for a family of four to you know start with only a quart of garbage tomorrow yeah. but you know even we like i try to we don't use paper towels like of course we use toilet paper uh, but we use tree free toilet paper like small changes like that using you know bulk soap to refill your hand dispensers and staying away from plastic reusable things even like that like you just don't even think about yeah. all the and, things And that once you, do. you start thinking about it, you keep adding things and it becomes more like a natural part of our culture. Which is funny because I know that sometimes my mom even is just like, why are you doing that? But, you know, we'll go out somewhere or we'll be on vacation and there won't be a recycling place, you know, like to put recycling. So I'll just put it in my bag and I'll like bring it home to recycle it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's like, that's so weird. But, you know that's just not the way that she was raised or like, it's not something that she thinks about, you know, well, she's gotten better. She does all of her cans now because 
recycling is still not available in every single area and and it is available there but only aluminum and glass so she's a little bit more limited but she's she's on the movement <laughs> thankfully <laughs> steps in the right direction yeah little piece by piece yeah all right we were just thinking we were just thinking so we're always just thinking <laughs> thinking 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 uh this week, I've been thinking about humility a lot and what it really means. It seems easy to me to be self-deprecating, but humility is a different animal altogether. I think humility is confidently self-aware, but not assuming. I wish I could take a humility pill, because it seems so hard to come by. <laughs> how do I behave with humility, and how do I teach my students this trait? Am I modeling it for them? I believe strongly that it does not mean being a doormat, and that advocacy is often necessary. But I'm unclear about how I see those two things fitting together. I'm dying to know your thoughts on it this week. Um, Brene Brown's TED Talk that catapulted her popularity about vulnerability was a really powerful notion for me that I've worked through in therapy for years, and her series of books have been really helpful to me personally, but humility is something she seems profoundly strong in. I relate to her perspective on faith, too, because she talks about being invited to speak in a church and saying no because they ask her not to curse. Um, and she doesn't even curse that much, but something about that com commitment to authenticity really resonates with me. Um, I struggle with cultural expectations in general, conflicting with my most deeply held values, but then not always knowing how to put all that together. And my question is how can I be humble and stand up for myself and others when need be? Like that's the life goal this week for me and what I've been thinking about a lot. I think it's always a delicate balance. Um, it is confidence for sure. Um, but not arrogance, Yeah, I guess is the difference. Um, but I do think it is cultural. I think you're right. I think a lot of people think that if you're not one of those abrasive, like, outgoing, um, assertive people that you are kind of a doormat. And even if they don't think that, their actions often show that they think that. Um, even if you don't feel it in other ways. Um, but I, I think that the same thing in this culture goes, and we've talked about this before, goes for the people who are assertive and, you know, more aware and outward, you know. Like, they're the doers, so people expect them to do, you know? Um, and I think, personally, I would feel like a doormat if people didn't expect me to do things. You know, like, I think hmm. if someone says, oh, well, you know, she doesn't usually get stuff done, or if she doesn't, you know, think like this, or Google Docs isn't her jam kind of thing, I would feel that I wouldn't be a participating member of the team, so to speak. Um, I think that you're often treated like a doormat unknowingly, not you, but people in general, um, by not being expected to do things. Mm. But that's not usually how it's internalized. That's so true. That's really interesting. I've never thought about it that way. I think if people are asking you to do things, then that means that respect, they respect you know, what you have to offer. And if they're not asking you to do things, then it implies that maybe they don't feel that way. That's going to be on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think that, like you said, it is a balance. And I think humble is such a nice word. I feel like 
we, we don't really teach our kids that. It's basically you have to stand up for yourself and no emotion. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. but I think humility is really important. And, and grace. Give yourself grace. Give other people grace. And, um, you know, when you do something awesome, also feel like it's okay to accept congratulations and accept compliments and things like that. I think that makes you humble too, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes, again, those more introverted people, um, if you say things like that to them, Oh, you did a great speech or I really liked your book or, you know, whatever it was, that project was awesome. Oh, they dismiss it. And people are not going to continue to give you those types of compliments if you continuously say, oh, no, thanks, you know, like play it off. Um, But then at the same exact point, you've got people who say, thank you. And it's like, well, that was arrogant. (laughs) But you just said congratulations. So I said, thank you. That's not like you should be proud of your hard work. I think our culture is bad at this. That's part yeah. of why I struggle with and, it. And you're taught that way yeah. too. And maybe not by your parents, maybe not by your teachers, you know, but through society and examples, you do get taught that mentality. And so I think humble goes both ways. I think it's being confident enough to accept the appreciation you deserve in whatever format that might come in. And then also the point where, you know, if you screw up, you say, oh yeah, you know, that, that was not my best moment or whatever it might be. I think you have to, it's like a seesaw. Every time there's going to be a plus and a minus and you're going to have to balance that out. Yeah, it's so true. So true. It's really valuable. <laughs> to bits. Thank you. We'll I'm probably really talk about this next by... time because we'll be talking, we'll be talking about it in the meantime. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really blown away by your comment. Like I'm really, that's sinking in with me about people are not you're a doormat because they just almost dismiss you. Right. That's really, yeah. That's. But it's not internalized that way. Mm-mm. It feels, oh, this is cool. This is normal. But, you know, this is neutral. It's okay. Everything's okay right it's now. It's not really. But yeah, really, you're not being appreciated in the other direction. So true. Um, and so, yeah, speaking of talking about that for the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to be going on spring break in two weeks. So we will probably be coming at you from the beach, and it might not be on a Sunday. Special edition. Yeah, special edition from the beach. Um, So that will probably be, I don't know, maybe on a Wednesday. We'll throw you a curveball. (laughs) We're going to travel that week, so we'll see how it goes. But um, one thing I totally forgot to mention was um, the Renfro Smart Scale. Oh, yeah. Um, So we sort of skipped over our win. We're into this, so we're with it today. That was, yeah. Because it didn't flow with where we had it. The, we were just thinking flowed better with the other. But last time I talked about the Renfo um, Smart Body Scale. And it doesn't really matter what type of plan you're on or if you're on a plan at all. But I just really like this scale because it tells the weight along with like your body fat percentage. And goes deeper into the type of weight and water weight and bone mass and muscle mass. And so if you're interested in, to, in data, <laughs> like I am, this is definitely a great scale for you. It's only around 30 bucks too on Amazon. There's a couple of color choices. I'll put the link in the show notes, but, um, the amount of data that this tracks and tells you is really helpful. And I love that it Bluetooth, like Bluetooth allows it to sync with your phone and then it keeps your tracking for you. So every time you weigh, it'll update. And then you can look back at all of the history of doing that without having to like track it on pen and paper. Um, so 
that and that's only 30 bucks I couldn't believe it but yeah actually it's funny because I was reading through the notes when we were preparing and I have a new you that I got at Walmart those 50 bucks it doesn't do all the things your stuff <laughs> I still like mine though um and my Fitbit I have a Fitbit excuse me Alta HR that I got on uh, Facebook marketplace and I really like it and the Fitbit app specifically I like because I my focus is on calories because I will get um, calorie denial about <laughs> large portions of junk food. So really that's why I focus on calories is because I'll eat like a whole pizza and like drink beer and like totally be in denial about how much food that really was. So the quick calorie cat Sounds thing. Sounds delicious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, the quick, the quick calorie ad thing on the Fitbit specifically really helps me with yeah. my struggles. Um, and I really like the Alta HR because it's, in and it has the time and like it tells me phone notifications and I like it at school because I can leave my phone somewhere else and still keep up with my walking specifically because I walk a lot at school and I walk laps at recess and I don't want to drag my phone out there then but then also I like a couple of different apps so my scale has an app and my Fitbit has an app, but then also Google Fit is on my phone, and it syncs both of those things. Yeah. So I really like the syncing because in a pinch, if I carry my phone, it can sort of track my steps, not as well as my um, Fitbit. Fitbit does. But um, I really like that Google Fit piece because it syncs everything, and it's a little more user-friendly. And sometimes, like, all the details on the other ones annoy me, <laughs> like, when I'm overwhelmed by the whole process. But the Google Fit, like, kind of makes it simple. I'm like, okay, I can just take a step in the right direction today. And that's kind of how I feel about the calorie, the fast calories, because you can do all the d d details of the macros and what you ate, but the Fitbit, you can just put how many calories did I eat. So I find that really helpful. Yeah, I wore an Alta. Well, I started with the Charge HR for like a couple of years and then I wore the Alta for a couple of years and I liked both of those a lot. I felt like they were pretty accurate. I like to watch the heart rate when I'm at the gym just to make sure I'm pushing that maximum heart rate. Mm -hmm. um, and then steps, obviously, yeah. But it's, it's pretty easy to reach your 10,000 at school. Yeah, <laughs> um, or really whatever is. your goal is. Um, but yeah, I so I don't use a smartwatch anymore, but I do track macros in um, an app. It's a free app called Carb Manager. And it's the easiest and most straightforward that I've ever tried. You just put in your goals one time, and then as you enter your food throughout the day, it goes ahead and applies to fat, protein, carbs, and fiber and um, calories. And I guess I would most closely relate it to my fitness pal um, in the way that the platform looks. Um, it's got like a pie chart of how much you've used, and then it tells you also in just numerical form. Um, but tracking calories, that's not something that I'm into um, just because unless you're weighing your food and converting it, well, I do weigh my food sometimes if it's just like um, like a recipe or something, but um, I don't eat a lot of packaged food, so I don't often know the caloric value of it, and that's why I feel like I have to weigh, you know, if I'm going to eat this half a cup of cucumbers, I have to weigh it and then convert it to whatever the calories are. So for me, it's easier to just use the app where somebody's already done that yeah. <laughs> and I can just put cucumbers and then it'll pop up with the serving size. So mm -hmm. I just scroll to like half a cup and then it goes ahead and calculates that for me. But I think all of these are awesome options and there's more out there too. I'm sure there's a thousand YouTube videos on different apps to use, um, but it all just depends on your goals. So yeah. calories are my focus. So those don't tend to be the ones I pursue, but at the same time, like if calories are your focus, then you could make any of these work. Yeah, and it depends on where you're starting from. I think it yeah. kind of, like what we said about 
dating around with therapists. <laughs> yeah. You got to kind of date around with your your health habits uh-huh. and your apps and your well. And you even mentioned like scales. you know like, keeping you the need? journal and stuff like yeah. Writing it down was mm-hmm. a little less effective than you thought it was going to be. Whereas keeping it, you know, in something that you can constantly look at, you know, helps a little bit well, more. Well, and breaking that rule down for me that like. I had this all or nothing attitude. It's like, I have to write down every single thing I eat and exactly how much it was. And it has to be perfect when that's like not realistic for my lifestyle right now. Whereas, you know, sometimes I do that when I can. And then other times I just real quick put in how many calories approximately what I just ate was because I was going so far beyond what I need to be eating that even something just a little bit more tightened in is beneficial. So it it depends on where you are. I think it has a lot to do with your personality type too. I think that, you know, calorie counting can be a slippery slope for some people too. If you have one of those perfectionism type personalities that we touched on earlier, you know, it's really easy for you to say, okay, I have this amount of calories today. So I'm going to eat this, this, and this, and this, and then go ahead and enter your whole day in the morning and only eat what's on that list. You know what I mean? (laughs) Not that A lot of people get really regimented with that and it can lead to, you know, things that aren't healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even just the mentality of that being that strict and that selective, like it's important to have whole foods in your diet. And it doesn't mean that you have to eat salads all the time. I would never recommend, you know, being only one type of diet. I think that whatever fits you and works that your body responds to positively is a good place for you to go. And not all of our bodies respond to the same things the same ways. So if you, you know, feel like something's not working with your body, then I don't think you should push through with that. Yeah. And and for me, especially, I should have mentioned this before, but counting calories helps me because I don't do it like exact. I do kind of overall. Yeah. So it helps me remember, oh, I don't want to waste half a day's worth of food on one piece of pizza. Exactly. Because I'd rather have it. To me, it's helpful with tuning in and doing what I already kind of know. So I think that helps with intermittent fasting too. If you do intermittent fasting, like, you know, I'm just going to have a larger dinner because I wasn't really hungry at lunch. And then I always like to have a little bit of half and half of my coffee in the morning. So that kind of breaks my fast anyway. But then, you know, most, some days I won't even eat lunch and then I'll eat what I packed for lunch for dinner (laughs) with something else. So I'll have like a larger dinner, you know, it just kind of depends on how I feel. And it's really helped me too to realize uh, when I'm tired or thirsty or because sometimes, you know, you genuinely need to eat and you realize like, oh, I'm a little tired because I need nutrients right, right now. Or, you know, I'm angry because I'm hungry. I already <laughs> ate. Like, why do I feel hungry? Oh, I haven't had enough water today. Like, right. It helps me to really realize what my body's actually asking for. Yeah. So, awesome. And that's important. I think the more that you, I will say that using apps like this, because you can also track your water, like you mentioned that too, you know, how many glasses of water have you had today, those types of things. I think if you're someone who feels kind of unaware or um, a little bit timid to try it, that an app really is a good starting point because that kind of takes a lot of the hard work out of it for the person. And you also have a visual representation of what's going on in your body. And over time, that gets easier and easier and easier. And I think having that track of results um, is motivating. It really is. That's what I like about Fitbit has the little thing. It's like you click your water and I'm like, mm, I drink my I drink water. water. <laughs> or if I get to the day later and I'm having these ridiculous cravings and I look back and see like, oh my God, I haven't had any water. It's mm-hmm. like, no wonder I want junk food. Like I need to, I don't have what I need. Right. So yeah, it's been really That's, helpful to me. Yeah. So we'll put some links to those things down, but they're all um, free as far as I know, they were when I had that, but 
They're all apps? free apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mentioned. They are. Um, so you can find those. I use Android. Um, do I you use too. Android? Okay. Yeah. Um, but I know they're also free on Apple. So Apple or Android. Um, for sure. Or I guess iOS, whatever it's called. Well, my send off this week, uh, I'm so thankful for the weather. Oh, my know. windows were open while I planned for this episode, and the mountain breeze coming <laughs> in my windows felt like heaven. And my send off for you is just I hope you can enjoy the little things this week. Yeah, someone put a note in the bathroom at school. That said, enjoy the little things. And then someone else added a post-it that said, and don't forget to smile. And I thought, you know, that's so true. Because I wouldn't say that I'm a very smiley person by nature. <laughs> I just have kind of a neutral face. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I admit that. That doesn't offend me. But sometimes that whole fake it till you make it thing, like, if you just smile, it kind of does, like, tell your mind that, you know, we're feeling better right now. Be positive. <laughs> yeah. Like breathing. It was funny, Smiling. though, that the weather was so beautiful because then we had, like, a torrential downpour thunderstorm <laughs> last night, and now it's starting to get beautiful again. But, yes, spring break's right around the corner, so if you guys are heading off before we have our beach cast, um, don't forget to use Reef Safe sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll remind you of. We talked about our Earth, so yeah. it's April. Be Look sure for ways reef. Yeah. to take care of the Earth The whole month. Too. Earth month. Let's do it. Every day. Every day. All day. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Welcome to today's episode of We Were Just Thinking. I'm Elena. And I'm Shaylin. And we're here to rant, be better, tell you what we're into, think, show gratitude, and send you off with a thought to ponder. This is our fourth episode, and we appreciate the feedback we keep getting from you all as we keep trying to get the hang of this whole podcast thing. There is so much to explore. If you've been here before, thanks for coming back. If you're new, thank you for tuning in and giving us a chance. We'd like to start with a rant to get some feelings I'm sure many of us can relate to out, then work up to solutions later on in the episode. And last time the whole rant was basically you, and this time the whole rant's basically me. Uh, my rant is going to be all about vacation. Um, I've always felt like taking time away is a necessity, and vacations where you just kind of work the whole time is not what I'm talking about. We intended to do this podcast from the beach, so that's why this topic's about vacation. But And we're true to our rant because we did <laughs> nothing. Yeah, we did nothing work-related, so I'm really proud of us for that. Um, vacation's just truly a time where you should connect with a person or nature or, you know, whatever it is that you're choosing to do and disconnect from the online technically connected world. Um, and I just thought like sitting on the beach, listening to the waves, reading a book, um, was just a great way to unwind and relax. And when I got back, obviously I had like a head funk of getting back into the swing of things because, you know, it's so nice to sleep in every day and go to the beach and not really worry about anything except sunscreen and making sure you have your hat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you come back and you're like, oh my gosh, I had to get up at, you know, 530, 6, mm -hmm. 630. <laughs> and, you know, get back in action. 652. Right. <laughs> the last minute that you can, you know, get yourself together. And so I went to... Um, Googling it, <laughs> and I found this article by Thrillist, and um, according to them, Americans actually don't get many vacation days to start with, and we get the least of any developed country, and the average American gets 10 days of paid vacation time, um, but we're actually not legally required to get any, and that was mind-blowing to me because I think 
well, maybe I should definitely be more thankful for my vacation days, which a lot of us have built in vacations, you know? Yeah. But we're not taking the days that we're allotted, you know? And I know teacher world's a little different. Like if we're on spring break, we have that time off, but we, we don't actually use our sick or personal days, um, as Americans. And, um, countries in the European Union are required, required at least 25 paid vacation days. Um, and I thought, okay, now we're talking, you know, and even as a teacher, yeah, we have a lot of break time, but when we use our own personal days, like in North Carolina, it costs us $50 for the day to miss the work. So I understand partly why some people aren't because they're called paid vacation time, but they're, they're not, they're actually charging vacation time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's and kind of interesting. And you still kind of have to work as a teacher to Oh yeah. And if day. you're going to be out, you're, it's not where someone just picks up your slack. Like you have to have a plan for being out. Like I have jury duty coming up and I'm already working on plans because you have to have so much stuff ready for someone to fill your shoes. Um, so truthfully, I think teachers don't miss because it's harder to be out. It really is. Like, it's crazy. Um, and 23% of Americans used all of their paid vacation days. And this, this data is from 2016, so hopefully it was better in the past two years. But, um, And that just makes us a bunch of workaholics. And it just made me think, like, I'm guilty of that too. Like, I don't use all of my personal days every year. And, again, I know our profession's a little unique in that we have some built-in breaks, but... Even when I'm sick, I find myself thinking, okay, well, I don't have a temperature. I'm not, you know, vomiting or having to sit on the toilet the whole time. Like, I should just go because I have to think about putting in an absence at 3 a.m. and making sure I get a substitute. And I'm like, you can't even be sick. You're, like, watching to see if you're going to get a substitute or making Mm -hmm. sure you're communicating with the 50 people each day that you interact with to Mm -hmm. let them know that you're not going to be there. So I'm sure other professions have, you know, these types of constraints too. But I thought it was funny that it said last year, uh, so this again was 2016, there was a collective 662 million vacation days that were unused in the United States. And that was actually by the a study that did, the U.S. Travel Association did. And I thought, oh my gosh, like... That's our culture. If we distributed those days to everyone, like we, you know, could really make something magical happen. But, and like I said earlier, it could be due to company culture or like the field you're in. The more you work, the more respected you are. I think that is very true in teaching as well. It's kind of frowned upon for you to miss school and you kind of sometimes get the side eye if you've inconvenienced someone else. And I think that's the true problem is when you're out, you're often inconveniencing someone else or inconveniencing someone else. And therefore, there's a little bit of resentment that's coming on because you've put more on their plate. Well, but I feel like that comes from the fact that we are are biting off more than we can chew consistently. Oh, yeah. All of us. So as a work culture, we don't have a sustainable, realistic, manageable workflow. We're all, like, stretched too thin all the time. So... This contributes to, like, if you don't use your days and then you're cranky for two weeks, you're <laughs> yeah. also putting it on somebody else. Right. You know? And when I worked in finance, I, f- I feel like I've been on both sides of this. When I worked in finance, I just absolutely did not want to miss because I knew that I was going to be so far behind on my deals when I came back to work. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that on the days that I was out, I was going to miss out on some deals. And 
other people were going to have to work those deals for me because, you know, the business side never stopped. Mm -hmm. So I knew they were picking up my, you know, so to speak, slack by being out. And then I knew how that felt because when they were out, you know, I was having to do the same thing for them. And But if we had paid time off, that would be less of an issue because if we all did it at the same time or were prepared for it or built that into our expectations of ourselves and each other, it would be so much better. Well, and this was paid time off. It just inconvenienced the rest of your team, you know? But I still feel like you should always feel like you could take your vacation days. And I think that's part of the culture problem is you have these days and they act like you're so lucky to have them. It's such a privilege, you know? But at the same time, if we're all fearful to take them for whatever the reason may be, or we just choose not to because we're also fearful of falling behind or not be not being viewed as someone who's dedicated to work or things like that, then we're still contributing to the problem instead of making it better. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this mind game mm -hmm. that employers are playing with employees and maybe that employees are playing with themselves. I don't know to not take those days. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get all of those are legitimate, but I feel like the true problem for me with off days is technology has totally changed the way we work, mm -hmm. even in teaching, like you are constantly connected and it's almost impossible to explain, well, I was off. So I didn't know, or I wasn't here. So I didn't see that. Like, even when you're off, I'm quoting in the air, you're still checking email. You're still looking at Google docs. You're still getting texts mm -hmm. or calls from people who are just trying to bug you. And I know it's because they need something from you, but I can honestly say I would never bother someone that was on time off. Like if you're sick and you called in, then that means that you're not capable of hanging today, you know, or if you're on vacation, I wouldn't want you to feel like you needed to think about work or think about your deals or think about how far you're going to be behind or any of that. And, yeah. and that's what you were saying. Like, I feel like if we had that mutual respect on a global level within companies and within fields that it would be received a lot differently. Yeah. We don't value time off or vacation as a necessity. No. And it is. Yeah. And I think right now, and of course, again, technology is why we hear so much more about mental health issues and things like that. They've always existed. This is not new, you know, but you see it on Facebook, you see it on all of the news sites, you, it's just much more in your face, which I think we could even say is a little bit of a blessing because then you're more aware of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like you've got to take time for yourself. You've got to put yourself first sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I know that statistically, you know, women are very bad about that. Like we have read studies about how women, you know, don't take themselves to the doctors, but they push their husbands to go to the doctors and they make sure their kids are always going to the doctors. And they oftentimes, you know, don't take care of themselves. In fact, when I was at my annual appointment a couple of weeks ago, the lady that was sitting beside me said, well, you know, I'm just now coming back. I haven't been here in five years because I wanted to wait until my oldest child was old enough to babysit so I could take an afternoon appointment. And I thought, holy hell, like yeah. that, you know, five years, your whole reproductive system could be in bad shape, you know, yeah. like, and, and I get that we, we are typically caretakers. And I know that, you know, a lot of studies say that men often don't take care of themselves for other reasons because they feel like they kind of can't be out of commission because they're the providers, you know, the majority of the time, if you will. 
And all of those things are completely valid. I see the rationale in people's minds. You know, even when I take my dog, like when Monday, Walter's going to have surgery. On Wednesday, Zoe's going to have her teeth cleaned. And it's inconvenient to like reschedule your life to make those things happen, but they're important. Mm -hmm. And if you don't take them, you're going to pay the ultimate price. Mm -hmm. Your employer is going to pay the ultimate price. Like, I don't know why they think us missing school is a big deal or anybody missing work is a big deal. Because like you said, if you come back and you're in a bad mood and you really needed time off or you didn't get to go grieve when you had a family member pass that wasn't an immediate family member or... It harms all of us. Yeah, you know, it, it's a toxic culture and that's what we're swimming in most of the time well, anyway. And if somebody comes to work with an infection... <laughs> yeah. For weeks, I have pink eye, but I'm here. I'm like, no, please goodbye. do not come Yes, here. like, why would you do that? Well, I've got strep. My God, like, go, go. <laughs> Like, we constantly, as teachers, I'm sure if you're a teacher and you're listening, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. Because you can't get away from this Petri dish of gross. People you know? don't go home for lice anymore either, did you know No, that? yeah, I know. It's like, it's okay to have a knit. Well, I'm like, okay, that's still lice. Like, let's. Let's be proactive and not let that happen. And it's those are the types of things where it's a cultural reflection of our priorities, you know, yeah. like and it it just make when I was reading these things I just thought, "Oh my gosh, this is so true. I have fallen prey to this." Like I think, "Okay, well, you know, I don't have a fever, I'm going to go." <laughs> or like these weird things that you know, with John at work, he would never have to choose, which of course he has the work from home option. Other people have a work from home option, but a lot of people that I know in my life would not think twice about going to work if they had a stomach virus. Like teachers often complain that we don't get to go to the restroom until the kids leave in the afternoon anyway, but not to get too, dra- too graphic. No, I know like, exactly where you're going. You can't teach school with diarrhea or vomiting. And I know that like, you know, if you have morning sickness, a lot of teachers still come to school and, you know, puke for the first three hours. But it it's just not, that's not the shape you should be in when they want you to come in and do your best. Like, and it's strange that we play these mind games with ourselves of talking ourselves out of taking a day off. It really of, is Out of fear sad. of the next day or yeah. fear it, of, you know, your image, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like when people, I feel like they put... I could be wrong that it's not other fields too, but I think definitely teachers are put in the role of being a parent and it's not, it's not, you're not a parent, you know, right. and parents, yeah, when you're sick, you're still a dad, <laughs> you yeah. know, but when I'm sick, I'm a teacher, you know? Yeah. Um, and I definitely think this ties into kind of what I was thinking this week too about, um, on the daily basis, just slowing down enough to take care of yourself regularly, cooking, exercising, whatever you need to do, taking time every day to take a break. And those things, I was thinking about that this week, that feels like a luxury to me. Um, It doesn't feel like a necessity. And even though I've been working on it for years to try to prioritize those things, I still struggle with feeling guilty if I like stop and cook on a weeknight when there's stuff to do for work and I think the connectivity is a piece of that too because I feel like oh well I could get on my laptop and write some lesson plans tonight or oh I could bring home my bag and grade some papers or I could make some gorgeous crap for my TPT store yes when like (laughs) I haven't worked out in a month I ate shit all day like (laughs) you know 
And I, I mostly ate that because I was stressed. <laughs> yeah, and because it's faster. Right. Yeah. And, and I feel guilty doing things that are necessary. Like, there is something wrong. I mean, that's me personally, too. But mm-hmm. I don't think culture supports that in any way. Right. In my current environment. I'm not sure if that's other fields. So if it is other fields, we'd love to get some feedback from people listening mm-hmm. if you experience the same thing. And what you do to kind of fix that. Like, I need ideas. Yeah. And I, I know that, you know, everyone loves to say, well, you're a teacher. You get the whole summer off. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we do. But you, unless you make the actual decision to not let teaching be your life, then teaching is your life. So that's probably one of the most annoying things that anybody can say to a teacher. Um, so make note of that to you guys at home, but they don't realize like you're working on the weekends you're working every night. You're checking your email before you go to school. And I know other people are doing that too for different reasons, but most of the people in those fields aren't making, you know, crap money for the days they do work. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but their pace during the day cannot compete with 22 six-year-olds. Right. <laughs> How many questions are you asked in a day? Yeah. Can you go to the bathroom without somebody knocking on the door? No. Even stay-at-home moms always talk about, oh, it's so hard. Like, Imagine 22, 22 and every adult anywhere expects you to know everything about all 22 of them and their families and right. their academic status. Like it's <laughs> well, and parents, I always appreciate this. Parents are like, I just don't see how you do it. And I love that they realize that. But then I think that it gets into kind of what we're talking about here too: technology. Like I use remind.com to communicate with families and at night, sometimes at nine o'clock at night, They'll send me a message on Remind, which thankfully that's an app. I don't have notifications enabled. I'm not alerted whenever it's time, but it's still like you're always available. Like you get that I have a hard day. You get that it's a busy profession. You get all this stuff, but you're still going to message me at 9 p.m. You know, and I'm like, what? That brings me into a whole nother. Tap the brakes. Like boundaries with tech. Like people have issues with that. Right. Like to me, that's obviously so inappropriate yeah to message your child's teacher at 9 p.m like not okay yeah (laughs) and but clearly that's an issue because I've had a lot of teachers Mm -hmm. say something about that but also there's like a lot of people in my life who I would think that that was rude yeah there's a very small circle of people who can call me after nine o'clock right know. and but people don't think like that it's like I'll just text at 1 a.m. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, Well, and that's kind of why I wanted to blend with, like, your day off versus a vacation. Like, I feel like we have to control what we can control. And to, for me, that was I took work email off of my phone. I know that's not possible for everybody, and it's definitely gotten me in a heap of poop before because I really should have been reading an email at 1030 at night. But I wasn't going to do that anyway. And that's because I really have drawn those boundaries. And if anybody has a problem with, you know, me not knowing about a piece of information when I get to work in the morning, I'll, that's, I'm comfortable saying that now. And I know not every profession can do that and not every person can do that. But that's where you respect my personal time, you know. And I, I come to school a little bit early so I can read my emails. And that way I can start my day with that. Um, but yeah, any application that I use or whatever, I just turn notifications off. Because then I'm not alerted. It what they need doesn't become my emergency. It doesn't become the topic of what I'm thinking. And last week when we were on vacation, I did get a few messages and I thought, why are they messaging me on spring break? But I didn't know that they messaged me until I got home and you know, it was time to start the work week again, because again, I wasn't checking Mm -hmm. and I didn't have alerts. Mm -hmm. So the ultimate rant, and we kind of blended in to do it better because we gave some ideas, but 
just take a break, go on vacation. It's truly a non-negotiable because your health is at stake. And I mean, physical, mental, emotional, all, all of your health is at stake. And I think your families pay the price when you are not well rested or, you know, your brain hasn't had a break. Your friends pay the price, you know, and, and you pay the price financially as well. Because then when you are completely exhausted and you have to go to the physician, there you go. You're paying that price as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I see a ton of these Instagrams probably <laughs> motivating and exhausting at the same time, but it says, you know, work 90 hours a week for what you want type of talk. Like hustle. Right. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, though you might advance at work, all the other parts of your being in life, as well as those in your life, like other people are struggling because they're never getting the best you. Mm -hmm. And I know that people like Elon Musk, like that it's amazing. Like, yes, you've achieved so much and you're so wealthy because of all of your hard work and all of these things. But I, I really feel that if you sat down with him and you had a conversation that he would probably say other parts of his life aren't where they want, where he would like them to be because of those sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And everybody has different goals and likes different things. So I'm all for that. But mine is not to be consumed by work forever, always. Yeah, know? and to not, you know, for it not to be an accident. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, you're inspired by that, so you set a goal and you meet it, and then how many sacrifices did you make and you're not even really sure if that goal was worthwhile to you? Right. Like, one of my favorite quotes was from a Bob Goff book, but it basically said something along the lines of, I'm not afraid of being successful. I'm afraid of being successful at the wrong things. Right. Because you can do so many different things and you can be really good at all of them. But like, what are you giving up? Right. And are you being intentional? And I think our culture is definitely so like fast. People always talk about this book, but essentialism says that. Yeah. When you're saying yes to things that you're not really into, you're saying no by default to things that you might be. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. We need downtime uh, so badly to be able to discern that, too. It's like, if you have no time to yourself, you don't even have a, a space to think about, what do I want to be doing, you yeah. know? If you're just so fast you're always recuperating from yeah. today. Yeah, and, and when we do take time, it's like we're dead all yeah. by then. <laughs> so you sleep for six hours. Of the day. Six hours. Yeah. <laughs> of the day. You know what I mean? Right. Like, not in addition to at night. I didn't mean Oh, that. okay. Yeah. Like, like you sleep six hours of your day away because you're so exhausted. You're yeah. one day off and you still have errands to do because you don't, we don't create enough space in our lives, I feel like. That's right. the main. And it's so hard to do with consistency. Well, it's hard to prioritize, too, when you're you're feeling like your life's a guilt trip. Yes, like, that's what I'm saying. I can't take off because I, all these people are counting on me. I can't do this because well, this person's going to be upset. Or, you know, like, that, none of those things are worrying about yourself. Yeah, and relationships sometimes, I think, function the same way. It's like you got to see somebody twice a week when, like, you could see them once a month and your relationship would be even more meaningful because you're present for it. Like, do you mean like dating relationships? No, like oh. family. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't family, know if you can friends. No, go no, on no, a no, date a month. <laughs> no, 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 not dating. I was like, I don't know if that would be good, but I, I knew what you were talking about. But yeah, I agree. And I think even with coworkers, like we are, again, our profession is totally different, but every now and then when things get tense in the office, 
you know, if someone's out, it's kind of nice. Like, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure they feel that way about me too. Like, yes. um, you know, they, when I worked in finance, I'm sure they were probably like, okay, cool. One less person in this aisle of cubicles, you know, like it's yeah. quieter. It's this, it's this, you know. And you need a break from so many uh, chefs in the kitchen. Well, and our, like, again, our profession is so different. So I know that and I accept that. But it's interesting to work in a room by yourself all day long. But then when you're going to be out, 15 people are inconvenienced. Like, <laughs> how does that happen? Like, I don't even understand. It's because we do so much. I'm like, when I'm there, I might not even see these people in person. But when I'm out, I've somehow, like, ruined their life. It's... Yeah, because whoever's in your place is going to ask 750 questions. And they right. won't know what time to do anything because our day is so nuanced. I mean... Well, I have really good sub plans and I feel like if they read them they'll know what to do but but think about it I mean we know that three minutes matters oh yeah substitutes don't realize you can get a lot done in three minutes (laughs) my my sister-in-law I heard her explaining to a long-term substitute like how to get out of recess and into lunch and the tea I mean the sub had no clue what she was saying yeah and my sister-in-law had no clue that she didn't get it and sub is hard work (laughs) Like, it is. I can't imagine being a different teacher every day. Like, I think that that's so challenging. Yeah. Every school has their own funky ways of doing stuff. You yes. know, like, it's just totally crazy, and mm-hmm. I get it. But I also feel like leaving work at work is another way to take a break. Like, if you can't go on a physical vacation or you can't miss a day of work, then I think that... Disconnecting. Yeah, you have to... You have to do it at home. You do. And you have to, like, so for example, for me, that was no more teacher bag. Now my teacher bag has things that I want to bring home to store, like in their correct topic cubby, or it transfers <laughs> my lunch, or it has like Tylenol, and you know, it's basically yeah. like a big work purse. Um, that's kind of where we're at. I don't bring home stuff that's going to loom over me because I used to stay until like six o'clock and then I'd come home and then I'd have a big bag of crap to do. And then I would realize nine times out of 10, I never even looked at it. Yeah. I have like a system so, of things that point? I bring home that are like, cause I really like, <laughs> I really hate grading writing. So yeah. I'll like keep all the writing together and bring the home bag back and forth and just do like one or two if I feel like it, like while I'm watching a show or something. Right. I only do the stuff I feel like on my own time now. Yeah, and um, that's that's your way of feeling like you kind of had a break. You know what yeah. I mean? There's no time frame on it. Yeah. So, definitely, if you have any free time during the day, get your stuff done. I know that that happens, you know, to me sometimes, but I um, definitely use my planning period, and sometimes I don't eat lunch, you know, with the whole team um, because I feel like we only have that one 45-minute and 30-minute period And I really like to make the most of that time so I can come home and not have things that I need to do or feel like I have them looming over me. I can totally unwind from the day after that. Um, And sometimes that can make me and people in other fields and other professions seem a little antisocial because you're kind of prioritizing getting things done versus, you know, spending time with your team. But, like, are you friends, though? I mean, we are. We get along fine. But do I want to prioritize the relationships with them over my health? Like, no. And especially not on a daily basis. Like, yes, I want positive working relationships with my coworkers. Sure. I love teamwork, personally. But I, I want it to be working relationships. I'm not there <laughs> to be 
friends with people. Yeah. Like, y- yes, I want to be their friend, but <laughs> at what cost? You know, we're already overextended. I'm not going to waste another 30 minutes just talking. Right. Unless that serves our team in some way, you know, like. Well, yeah. And we kind of talked about this last time. Like you have this free time built into the day, which oftentimes it's not free. We already, you know, meet a few days a week. So I always make sure I'm at the meetings. I always, you know, I'm engaged when I'm there. But on the days that we're not having those meetings, I really prioritize any loose ends that I need to tie up. So I don't have to worry about taking them home with me Mm -hmm. or I don't have to worry about, you know, having some sort of inconvenience or if an emergency came up and I had to miss tomorrow, I could be engaged in the emergency versus is everything okay at school? And all of that's a mindset shift, you know, Mm -hmm. like you have to work on that for sure. Um, And some cultures that you work in are just toxic and it's hard to let yourself think freely like that because that's not the culture that you're living in day to day. Yeah. And if you set yourself up, we've been there. (laughs) Yeah. And people like want to talk too, like just socialize sometimes and then you feel like a jerk, but like, if I'm working, if somebody else is working, I would feel so rude to just go up to them and interrupt what they're doing, especially right. in a, a school setting, knowing how often you get interrupted. I think people should really be more considerate of that in schools, personally. I do too. And I honestly, I kind of attribute that to, we only have this 40 minutes or this 30 minutes and other people are trying to prioritize as well but they might need like your help to do that so they're having to interrupt because it's the only time we're all available to talk you know what I mean and so I try to be understanding about that too and I'm not antisocial I I just like to put first things first I don't mind if it's work related interruptions I'm talking about oh yeah like social chatting yeah the shit yeah like no go away (laughs) (laughs) goodbye come back at 3 30 yeah exactly like yes Right. Because I have 22 little people who want to tell me about their life. Exactly. And I need to save myself for them, you know? Like, yeah. Your ears can only hear so much each day. Yeah, and they <laughs> need me and you don't. So maybe up. we could have summed all of this up with get a pair of earplugs <laughs> and lay down in a quiet room. <laughs> maybe that. You don't need a beach. You just need to do it. Dark sunglasses. But ultimately, just take a break. Give yes. yourself what you need and that looks different for everybody, but do it. It's Oh, it's I also go offline sometimes do. and tell everybody. I'm not going to answer my phone tomorrow. Right. Yeah. This weekend, I'm going to be out of touch. Yep. Everything's okay. That's important. I always like to know that from friends. I put it on but, a, um, I put it on my voicemail before, too. Yeah. And I'm not on social media, so <laughs> my friends have to tell me, like, directly. Not going to be in touch this weekend. Not going to respond to text, texts and things like that or emails, whatever. And that way, you know, I won't be worried about you, but... I um I think that's great. I feel like oh, when gosh. you need to get away, like you can stay local and get away. Yes. Like, if you, you only can do tune it out the like world. Twenty four hours. Right. It's awesome to not check your devices. Like whoo. Yeah. Love it. And so whatever that means to you, is what you should do. I feel like that's how you can sum that up because Agreed. not everybody has the same needs, and I, I know that too. But I'm not gonna lie. Last week, sitting on the beach. Oh my gosh. Like that was I. Best. Nothing tops that for me. I, I was even sitting just like people watching, listening to the waves come in and like feeling the sun on my skin. Like that is what speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was telling somebody at work <laughs> that like we had such a good time and partially because we're both very interested in doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and like sometimes we would get so in like vacation mode that even at dinner we'd just be like Space house. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love so much. Yeah, we would. I mean, there were times where we were just like, 
Where did I was happy sit here or anything? Sigh. Yeah. Being on vacation. And you think of like girlfriends as being like, which we definitely do. Yeah. Sure. And we and we enjoyed that part too. Yeah. And on the beach, like you know, you might read a book, and I'd be listening to music, or I, you know, I'd read, and you were like reading or we were watching people or and we chat every now and then but truthfully even though we were sitting side by side like sometimes we didn't really talk a ton like we were just soaking it up you know yeah and and that's good too like that's part of why I travel alone a lot too is because then I'm like I can just totally veg out and be fine you know so do whatever works for you and that kind of sums up our rant and do it better like the rant is people need to be doing it do it better. Do what works for you. Encourage it. Model it. <laughs> yeah. Let's create that culture. Try today. to be the change in your workplace that sets the tone that it's okay for people to, you know, embrace their needs and, yes. and take a break. Yes. Um, so, cool. Well, speaking of vacation, here's some things I'm into because I'm definitely into vacation. And summer break's right around the corner and I have trips coming up, so I'm definitely thinking about what I'm into. <laughs> um, I am into the mini keto cheesecakes. I have a recipe down below. It's super easy to make, but you're going to want to stock up on cream cheese before you (laughs) get started because, um, you're going to want to make way more than five. I can already tell you. So start with 10 and see what you think. Um, but anyway, they're just so puffy and delicious and you can keep them in the fridge for like a week, I would say probably, or you could freeze them as well and then just let them thaw out. But I didn't do any crusts. I just did the cheesecake and these silicone baking molds and they were so good. So I'm gonna make some more today. I have to stop by the store I'm for cream cheese. To make those. Yeah, super easy recipe. You don't need any fancy Instapot blender immersion whatever's. Like it's literally just mix it up. I used a hand mixer, but I'm pretty sure you could even if you soften your cream cheese enough. I think you could probably even use like a hand whisk if you have oh, one okay. or something like that. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't have any fancy tools at home except. A multifunction blender, so maybe I'll try that. Who knows? Um, but I also love cream cheese, so I didn't even care if there were chunks of cream cheese in it because that was just good for me. If you don't like that, then you would obviously just blend it a little more. Um, and also, I recently tried Amazon Now grocery delivery, and I, well, first of all, to be completely transparent, I didn't even know that I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it on that. I yeah, I knew I didn't want to do Amazon Prime uh, pantry because for whatever reason. I can't ever fill a box correctly to like get the max bang for your buck. So I went on and I got on the Whole Foods tab because normally that's one of the grocery stores I have to go to. And I was trying to speed up the process, you know, and yeah. <clears throat> I was just putting stuff in the cart. And what I thought in my head that I was doing was I thought I was picking all the groceries that they were going to shop for me for and then put it in a locker outside of Whole Foods. And I was going to go pick up my groceries. hmm well, turns out when I got to the checkout, it was like the fee is free for two hour delivery because you spent more than $35. And I was like, what? <laughs> Mind you, this is Sunday. Two I hours? looked like total trash. <laughs> I was like, someone's going to be at my house in two hours and I'm not going to know about it. So once I checked out, they actually delivered it. And it's so awesome. All they did was send a message that said your order's being prepared. And then they sent a message saying, your order's ready to deliver. And then it sent a message that said your order has been delivered. So you just make a note of where you want your groceries delivered. They didn't knock. They didn't call. They didn't, I mean, it is completely independent of having to be involved in the process. And they put they, it all at the door. side door. Yep. Oh and my gosh. I, I was obviously home. I mean, I, 
you know, with a two hour range, most people could get back home and, you know, do it. Or they deliver all the way till 10 o'clock at night. I wonder how you get so, that job of just driving people's groceries. <laughs> till 10 o'clock at night. So even if you have like a crazy work schedule, you know, you can make it happen. But they have a two hour window delivery range. Um, so mine was from four to six. So I just wanted to make sure I was <laughs> not looking how I looked then at that range. But you never had to see the person. And I, no, I didn't know, but I didn't know that was going to happen because this was, you know, the first time. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then you can tip the person. And so even with fresh the tip, tip that way. Yeah. So that was the thing. And I will be, cause I know we're working on like less waste and, you know, really getting engaged in the getting woke to the planet, even though I feel like such an idiot when I say that word, but yes, I, and this is earth day week still technically. <laughs> so I want to make sure that I say that. The cool part is they brought it all in paper bags. Okay. The downside, which I totally get where they're coming from. I don't know if there's a better other option. Um, but they had like bubble wrap insulated things for the cold stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not recyclable. So there is a little bit of waste involved in it. Mm-hmm. But if you really wanted to reuse it, I honestly think that those insulated bags that they have you could use as an insulated tote. Like they're super durable quality. And I give it back to think them? that's what I was going to ask. I was going to call and see if they reuse those. The only reason I think they might not is there's like an adhesive strip that they've torn off to like fold over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes they rip, you know, because I wonder of the if adhesive. You, note but that you don't want yours in that. I thought about that too, because there are some notes, um, but I, I could see that that's a liability for them too. Like if they just drop off your groceries and then you say, ah, my milk was hot, you know, like yeah. if you, cause since I mean, they're not you making specifically put a note in there. That's right. Like, that's why I'm thinking it's probably okay if you try to note, but since you don't make contact with the human, mm-hmm. I could see that, you know, people might take advantage of that. So just wanted to give both sides of the coin there. Yeah, I think it was yeah. amazing and I will do it much, much more. Um, (laughs) I am not done with that. And then for anybody who might be wondering what those lockers outside of Whole Foods or, um, green life, if you used to have one of those that got purchased by Whole Foods, those are actually not grocery lockers. Those are for Amazon prime deliveries to people who do not have addresses to receive Amazon prime packages. Mm. (laughs) Those are not grocery lockers. Did they take Amazon returns at Whole Foods? I don't know. Mm. To ship them back, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so the lockers for delivery, like if you have an apartment that requires like a gate entrance and, you know, you have to pick up your packages a weird way, or maybe you're between residences and you have a delivery or something, um, you can just send them there um, for free and then they give you a code. Uh, This is what the Whole Foods people told me. They give you a code and all you do is punch in the code. You don't even have to interact with a human when you go to the locker either. I wonder if I can do that. This whole human thing is really getting obsolete. I know. How do I get these jobs where I just like deliver stuff and don't talk to anyone? Can I be like a robot too, please? Right. So So, super cool. Definitely recommend it. I I think it's a great idea. Available where I live. You live pretty close to Whole Foods, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's available in different areas. So I don't know when we get done recording. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, definitely check it out. Um, And it's the entire store at your whole finger at your fingertips. Okay, it's my turn. So the thing I'm into right now is making cold brew coffee at home. Um, I have a pitcher that I got at Target. It is so convenient, and it saves me a lot of Starbucks drive-through money. Yeah. Um, it's really easy to make a lot of coffee at once and just leave it in the fridge, which I really like because then I can just sort of get it when I want it and have as much as I want ready to go. 
Um, I love well, not it. right now because you broke your coffee maker. Well, <laughs> I have that. My French press is what broke, but I still have my cold brew pitcher. Okay. So I was making cold brew. I got it from, uh, what's her name? The Pioneer Woman, Reed Drummond. Mm-hmm. She does it like in a big bowl with a cheesecloth. And, uh, and I did all that stuff at first. It was so much work. But it was so delicious. More power to you, Adri. Yeah. (laughs) It was so delicious, though, that I was like, I'm going to figure out an easier way to do this. And, like, stumbled upon a cold brew pitcher, which, um, now that it's warming up, is my new favorite thing again. I mean, I did it last year, too, but it's so nice. If you haven't tried it, try it. The only problem I run into is cold brew is 99% of the time not decaf. You make your own. Well, right, but, like, if I do want it out, because I don't usually want cold, if I do want it out, they're like, oh, we don't have decaf cold brew. I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine, get it, I'll make it at home. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I definitely could try that at home. Also, tacos, obviously, last week when we were at the beach, I <laughs> wanted to eat at this Mexican place that I love there, um, and I had really good. literally 10 tacos, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm fine by that. Um, you can get them in a lettuce wrap, but <clears throat> tacos are, like, my favorite. And then, of course, mixed with the margarita is even better. But all types of Mexican food speaks to me. Like ice cream kind of speaks to some other people. But on vacation, I could start with a latte. And I think you did have a cold brew when we were at Center Street. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and, and this was very good. Um, and then just sip it. We literally sipped coffee on the beach. Cold coffee, mind you. On the beach the whole day. I had all of these envisions of day drinking, but all we did was more like day latte sipping. It was was totally fine. And then we topped the nights off with tacos and margaritas or whatever type of cocktail we wanted. And I felt like that was a spa day, really. Oh, gosh. (laughs) The beach was heaven. That was one of my best vacations. Yeah. It was just nice to get away. Yeah. Until I almost broke my neck when I fell down the stairs. (laughs) To all of you at home, I'm and okay. And off of her bicycle. I just have a few, yes, I have a few bruises from twice tumbled down the stairs. <laughs> My bicycle, uh, first of all, the people who rented the home to us were very gracious in letting us use their cruisers. Yes, thank you. And they were awesome cruisers, but the seat was way too high on my bike. And it's a wonder I didn't split my pants break my bones in that area or also break my elbow when I was falling off of it. Uh It was only the mounting that was hard. It was the mounting and the dismounting. When I was on it, it was totally fine. Uh, But yeah, I took some spills and then I missed a step and literally almost broke my body. But I'm totally fine. (laughs) I'm totally fine now. Okay, it was a little scary when she fell down the stairs. It was a little scary, yes. I had to take a moment to see if I was... I froze like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> but I, I have some move. gnarly bruises, but everything's fine, and I don't think I hurt myself. And then I fell again at school the other day, and I'm um, pretty sure I flashed my underoos to my whole class. <laughs> but thankfully, they're little and sweet, and they were only worried about my safety. But I just was standing on the side of a walk path, and it was kind of, like, degrading. And I leaned when I was motioning for the kids to scoot to the left and I just kept falling oh my and gosh. all I could think was I cannot fall on my back I already have a ton of bruises oh my gosh how? but maybe bad things come in threes I slipped earlier this year in the ice I slipped down the oh, stairs yeah. and then now I slipped in front of my kids so that's three times maybe I'm you're hopeful done for I'm hopeful I'm done with the falling <laughs> so Speaking right. of being positive, we just put a big positive yes. spin on that. <laughs> we did. That was good of us. <laughs> toot toot. Okay, so we were just thinking about being positive. Uh, <laughs> it's easy to rant. Oh, yeah. 
But That's always the biggest section. There's, <laughs> it's very emotion-driven <laughs> rants. But, no, being positive, like, I was thinking this week how thankful I am for so many different things and how how good I felt in just focusing on those even for, like, an hour. If I just focus on what's going well most of the time, I feel so much better. Right. And I'm more content with the in-between times if I just focus on those good things. Like... I get to work with my sister-in-law right now. This podcast is something to look forward to very often. We just went to the beach. Like, the weather's really nice. Uh, my work environment has improved dramatically in the last year. Um, I've read a lot of interesting stuff that's really, like, I've been working on it long enough that it's taking effect, you know? And I feel that difference in my day-to-day. And even just a year and a half ago, I wasn't really in a good place. So that's an understatement. I was in a horrific place. And now, you know, most But look how positively you just reflected on that. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time now, though, I feel pretty good. You know, like, my mental health is in a good place right now. So um, I'm really thankful for that and want to enjoy it instead of use it to, like, solve all the world's problems in an hour. And and (laughs) I like that you put, like, not needing everything to be perfect to enjoy it. And we've talked to... Actually, I think we hit on that in our first podcast, like... You can't wait for things to be perfect to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. That's how your yes. life ends and you haven't experienced joy. Anything. Because there's, it never is. Right. And I have this quote in my classroom above my computer where I sit a lot. And it says, don't be afraid of perfection. You'll never reach it anyway. So it's like, you know, that quote, looking at it in my classroom, many times has made me be like, hmm. Like, I do love my little peeps, you know, because I get so stressed about all the other stupid stuff and I don't even enjoy the kids. And, um, the same thing's true at home or like with my physical health, like my mental health is so much better. And I worry about like having gained weight. Well, you know, (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, it's a lot better that I've gained weight than where my health was before. Right. Even if I was 10 pounds lighter or 20 pounds lighter, truly like I'm in such a better place. So I'm trying to enjoy that. And then I also started reading a book that you gave me and loaned me, um, Why Smart People Hurt. And the beginning of it has really spoken to me about being comfortable with neutrality because you're constantly looking for so much meaning out of life, like not being okay with the nothing in between times. And just, I worked on that in therapy a lot with family and friendships and relationships because I have a personality that craves really meaningful, deep relationships uh, and was overemphasizing that. And so I worked on that a lot in therapy of just being okay with like, okay, I might not have the most deep friendship in the world at this three months of my life, or I may not have seen those people in the last week, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to have that again, or that I don't still have that. Right. And I really like the idea of just like being fine with the neutral time when nothing amazing is happening and nothing um, terrible is happening. It's just day to day and that can be okay existing good yeah and not like boring or miserable or tedious right like it's just fine I feel like there's a lot of like motivational things that say don't just exist be this whatever this Mm -hmm. is you know but sometimes existing is just peaceful yes you can be existing neutrally and not it not be a negative thing yes that's what I was uh, especially when you're like a really empathetic person or you're you know have high emotion or you have a busy brain, like sometimes neutrality is really a place of peace. Yes. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. 
yeah. and trying to just enjoy it. And that's really our send off too. Like appreciate what you have, spend less time yearning for other things. It's super hard to do that. But when you are neutral and you're in those moments, like you're enjoying the now, mm-hmm. which goes back to the present over perfect. Like yes. be present when you can, because that's how people get the most of you. And that's how you share the most of you with other people. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're not strung out, you know. Yeah. You're content. Agreed. So be content. Yeah, be content. And I really liked how we signed off that one day. It just kind of happened that we both, like, said it at the same time. But, you know, I really like that be authentically you without apologizing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you you have to own yourself Mm-hmm. before other people will accept you as you are. Yes. And I, I feel like Mark Groves on Instagram is such a good like poster about things that are like, duh, but I need to do that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I like CJ motivation. Um, he's somebody we follow. Like it's again, it's like, duh, but yes, I need to do that. Yeah. And then we always talk about the art of charm, but like their podcasts are spot on all the time. Like sometimes when I'm listening in the car, like even on my way over here today, I told you I missed two exits because I was apparently driving on autopilot and engaged in their podcast. But you know, I feel like I'm the only one they're talking to. I feel like we're in a room of three people and they're just like, Shaylin? blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, I know other people are feeling that way too. Um, and that's good. Like you have to, you have to work on you and then you have to really embrace you. And then you have to decide whether or not you want other people to accept you. Or if you don't really think that they're that important in your life for you to continue changing into who you think they want you to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. More on that next time. Be yourself. So, Be authentically you without apology. And we will see you for episode five in two weeks. Thank you for listening. Bye.